Hi, and welcome to another Market Voice podcast. I'm Jeff Reeves. FIA hosted its 48th annual Boca conference this week, highlighting the resilience, growth, and innovation of the global clear derivatives industry. Among the featured speakers was CFTC Chair Rostin Benham, who kicked off March 15th with a keynote address that was followed by a brief Q&A with FIA's President and CEO, Walt Lucan. The fireside chat touched on the challenges around third-party vendors in our markets, the regulatory outlook for crypto, the importance of risk management and resilience in intermediaries, and much more. Here's a full conversation between FIA's Walt Lucan and CFTC Chair Benham. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Of course. Um, thanks yeah. for teeing this up for us, and I'm looking forward. I mean, we had a wonderful conversation um, in Chicago, and it seems like our events seem to attract um, disasters. I don't know what, I don't want to call it the Bo- Boca curse, but uh, there is a little bit, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, um, it feels like dog years. Um, it just yeah. almost, last year almost seemed an eternity ago. Um, but, uh, you know, given everything that's happened in our markets, I'm also um, pleasantly surprised by the resilience of our markets. And I'm just curious how you're sort of seeing, I mean, you are going event to event, but what do you think uh, how our markets are performing in the state of our markets right now, given all the, the different events that we've gone through over the last year? Yeah, I, and first off, Walt, it's good to be here and good to be back with everyone. And, and you're right, we bounce from crisis to crisis, but. Uh, um, Expo does feel like three years ago at this point. Um, You know, I I would say this in response to the question is we never want to be complacent. We always have to be uh, examining our markets, our market structure, our rules, our regulation, our internal compliance. Uh, But with that in mind, I do think given what we've experienced over the past three years, really, you know, sort of hearkening back to three years ago this month when, when COVID really hit and the global economy shut down, Uh, And we saw that massive volatility in commodity complexes for months, uh, and that bled into 2021 with sort of a return to normalcy, and then the war in Ukraine, um, and the ION incident, obviously, as I mentioned, the crypto uh, failures, and then, of course, uh, some of the bank failures we saw, and and record volumes, which I, I know we discussed earlier, and I've had multiple conversations with some of you over the past few days about uh, the volatility and volume we saw in our markets on Monday. So by and large, and I've had this conversation with members of Congress and, and folks across the globe, you know, I couldn't be uh, both more proud and, and confident in our market resiliency and in the structures. But with all that said, um, as I said at the beginning uh, of my response, uh, you know, these events really raise questions about where our markets are today. And as market structures evolve, that technology evolves, what we need to do to keep up <clears throat> to ensure that, you know, as we face more crises, as we heard earlier at breakfast, right, you know, we should assume this is the new normal and we're going to be facing these issues consistently. And that means we have to evolve, we have to change and adapt. And some of the sort of consistent themes I've heard over the past day or two, um, thinking about markets going back for the better part of a decade is lower volumes, lower open interest, higher volatility, fewer players, which means higher concentration and uh, dealers and trading activity, and those are the those are the things that I think need to raise red flags that we collectively, as I, I pointed out in my m- remarks, need to be thinking about so that we're better prepared and the concentration or the liquidity um, tightness doesn't have a larger impact as we face new crises in the future. 
I do want to touch on ION. You, you mentioned that, and I think um, a few weeks back, you, and in your Senate testimony, mentioned that you will be looking at that. And I think Obando Lear also talked about that at the MRAC meeting um, last week. Um, tell us a little bit more. I know, I know third-party service providers is something that you're thinking about. Um, you know, not currently um, a registrant, care, uh, registrant category mm -hmm. in the CEA and maybe difficult, um, uh, in my view, personally, uh, difficult to register them. But how philosophically, and I know you're talking to people on the sidelines here, how are you approaching um, yeah. you know, how you might look at that, understand what currently is required of, of firms, and how we can improve on, um, on what happened? Yeah, you know, you know it's a, I, I always trust and know that the registrant community um, is doing what they can to prioritize uh, cyber resilience, right? This theme consistently comes up as one of the most important risks that we face either organizationally or as an ecosystem. But the, the fact of the matter is what we experienced you know, over a month ago um, is a clear indication and proof that we're not doing enough or we, we have to be doing more. Um, and as, as we all know, it's a single point of failure. It doesn't have to be a big entity. It could be a you know, small single entity that creates essentially a pocket to uh, infect the entire ecosystem, right? And um, one of the lessons that I've learned even in the past, you know, roughly 48 hours as I've spent a lot of time in my, you know, numerous meetings yesterday is to ask, you know, what would you do if you were in my shoes as it relates to third-party vendors and cyber risk? And it's, it's a tricky question because, you know, are we sure we want as a regulator to actually regulate the vendor? You know, it's a rhetorical question, but something we have to think about. Maybe yes, maybe no. Do we want to raise our standards around cybersecurity principles and guidelines and you know, sort of uh, the, the vendor relationship that the registrant pool has? Do we use the, the tool that we, we have through our civil enforcement authority to create a, a larger incentive um, or disincentive, depending on how you want to look at it, to ensure that the registrant community is doing everything it can in its power to ensure that it, its vendor relationships um, are, are the, up to standards and, and up to the, the principles that we provide. Um, or as I've said, I said this in the Senate last week, the prudential regulators, the banking regulators have under authority of the Bank Supervisory Act, I think that's what it's called, um, essentially authority to supervise vendors for those vendors that provide services to registrants that um, you know, are services related to reg regulatory requirements. So, and uh, a slew sort of, of of options, but one that we're thinking about carefully, and one that I, th I think I wanna land in a place, obviously, that um, leverages the agency's expertise, realizes and recognizes what resources we have, both from a you know, capital perspective, but from a personnel perspective, and what's gonna put us in the best position. But you know, the, the ION incident certainly um, is just another wake-up call for all of us, and. The one thing I would say, having had the discussions over the past 48 hours, is to ensure, um, given the concentration in the space and the fact that there are not too many vendor providers for certain services, we all have to collectively be communicating and talking to each other about what you're seeing, what you know, and what types of actions either vendors themselves or other participants are playing. And I'm not saying or suggesting we have to rat each other out per se, but it is a collective action problem where a single point of entry or a single registrant through a, you know, cutting a corner or trying to save a few dollars on a bottom line 
could end up creating a larger problem for all of us. And I think that's what we have to collectively think about so that we're communicating with each other and making sure that we're getting ahead of problems uh, before they manifest. And FI announced last <coughs> week we're also forming a task force and look forward to working with yeah. the agency on this. Um, I do want to turn to the volatility of the markets. Um, you know, we have seen um, several events that have caused uh, our markets to be incredibly um, volatile over the last year, whether it's the war. Um, you know, we saw the incident at LME last year. Um, and just in general, um, as, as we move from a carbon-heavy footprint economy to um, something more sustainable, they're just going to see volatility. Yeah. How's the agency approaching this increased volatility, historical volatility? You know, what tools do you have in place, and how do you think our industry has reacted to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're using the tools we have um, around surveillance. Obviously, our enforcement um, tool is extremely powerful, and, and we're, we're making sure that we're monitoring markets and uh, ensuring that, you know, that those forces of supply and demand are acting um, as intended without sort of outside forces uh, uh, impacting them. Um, and we're looking at you know, all elements of, of the trading cycle from obviously the, the intermediaries and on the front end, um, the, the exchanges, and then obviously the clearing system. <clears throat> I would say, you know, as I think about what we experienced you know, back in 2020, and then as you pointed out with the volatility in commodity markets and just reflecting on the past year in terms of commodity prices and where we were one year ago today you know, with the concerns obviously about energy supplies and the duration of the war and what it would mean both um, for Europe and the US in terms of um, energy prices and obviously the ag complex and the metals as well and where we are now and sort of markets reacting both on the supply side uh, and shifting um, you know, where we're getting the resources from and how we're utilizing energy. We just continue to work with market participants and ensuring our markets are, are operating as intended and using all these tools. The, the clearing system continues to obviously be a point of uh, focus. I think when I have conversations both with lawmakers and my international counterparts, naturally, I think this obviously becomes um, a focal point from an industry standpoint when you talk about systemic risk and how um, you know, uh, problems in our ecosystem could impact other parts of the financial system. Uh, and by and large, again, you know, given the first question you asked, I, I'm very pleased with how things are, are working. I've had a lot of um, conversations and, and participated in a number of work streams globally uh, about clearing and margining practices uh, and what we saw over the past few years to make sure that those um, clearing activities are, are working as intended. And you know, there are always issues. We are always asking questions. We are always trying to improve that system because I know that puts huge stresses on balance sheets when you have huge amounts of volatility that require collateral. Um, but I always say you know, we have to take a step back and really appreciate and recognize what we've been through over the past three years and the amount of volatility. And when you look at the data, uh, and you sort of put a, you know, a layover of volatility versus you know, margin requirements or some of these demands we've seen on a collateral basis, um, there are correlations there. So it is really, in fact, markets working as intended, uh, but we'll continue to look at that. And like I said earlier, when we're seeing lower open interest, lower volumes, higher concentrations, these are the things that are concerning to me because when we do have these periods of volatility, when we do have these spikes, that's when I think the system becomes more fragile and we need to fix that both from a regulator, regulatory standpoint and I think from an, an industry standpoint. 
you, in your opening remarks, you, you talked about crypto regulation. It sounds like you're very still supportive of, of regulating the cash markets. Um, there is a thought out there among some uh, philosophically that maybe we shouldn't regulate them. Um, you'll allow them to go through this sort of growth period without regulation. Um, it sounds like the, you are taking the other point of view that let's, let's get a sound regulatory system in there. My question to you is, is there a consistent administration support for that? They are one voice in that. I know the, the SEC and the FSOC, and then on the Hill as well. I mean, what, it, what do you see the chances are of us moving forward with that? And do you think that point of view can be moved in 2023? Well, you know, legislation's always hard, and I, I, there's no doubt about it. You know, if I had to handicap the, the chance of a legislative package around crypto, it wouldn't be particularly high uh, at this moment, but I know there's a lot of effort um, and a lot of desire from a few members of Congress, but there's different points of view. This is the sort of natural process that plays out. I think I agree with you that there's a lot of different points of view within the administration about how we approach this, but I'll point to, you know, and the FSOC report on digital assets was very clear about non-security tokens being a, a sort of gap in the, the existing regulatory structure. And as the, the chair of the CFTC is the, the main commodity regulator who has jurisdictional ties to these cash markets through our futures products, through our listed products, um, you know, I think it would be careless of me not to at least raise awareness about this gap and about this issue and the risks that exist um, in this market and what that means for customer protections and customer losses. And um, I understand that there might be disagreement and you and I have probably talked about this. I am uh, certainly aware of what legislative authority or comprehensive legislative package would mean for the CFTC becoming a cash market regulator. But this is a recognition and a realization of how markets evolve, uh, about how retail investors are having access to commodity cash markets, which you know historically didn't exist. And I, I say this many times to to public in public events or to Congress. You know, commodity cash markets were typically wholesale and risk management markets, but we're seeing a shift in that space because of technology disruption and the barriers to access receding. And that's just the reality I think we all have to come to grips with. So it's, do we just sit back and let the, the natural momentum of markets evolve and, and hope that they're gonna be self-sufficient and people are not gonna get hurt? I, I think history has told us otherwise, and I think we have to use the existing apparatus within our, our government, which is market regulators and prudential regulators to responsibly regulate. Uh, bring oversight and you know really push out bad actors and bring some tr clarity and transparency to the market. Um, whether or not it's the CFTC, you know, that's that's not up to me. And if that's the choice of Congress, I'm 100% fine with that. But I still think, as the chair right now, it would be irresponsible for me to sit back and say, you know what, just let this cash commodity market, which I have a relationship with because of listed futures just go off on its own without oversight. That our, our enforcement record over the past eight years speaks for itself. Customer interest speaks for itself. Um, and we have to use the tools we have to ensure that US investors are protected. I was struck by a, a phrase that you used in your opening remarks, you know, what will the future of our markets look like? And I think we're all struggling yeah. with what that might be. Um, 
you mentioned that one of the things that you'll be looking at is the combination, what I call the full stack approach of putting multiple parts of our market structure into one entity. You know, FTX was the point of the spear of that. I think that brought a lot of attention to them combining all those functions into one entity. Tell us a little bit how you're gonna approach that. Um, what types of questions may you want to hear from the industry uh, on that issue? And uh, if there's any concerns with that approach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's in many respects the same way we approached the FTX application you know, a year and a half ago is we wanna be transparent. We want to get stakeholder input. We're gonna be cautious and deliberate and patient. I think those are the three words I used on this stage a year ago. Uh, and despite a lot of the noise, I think, in the, in the outside world about what we were doing or what we were planning to do, that was always my intent and that was the way we acted. Um, you know, as we continue to see scale and interest in this sort of full stack, um, I have to remain agnostic to the extent that I have an applicant who wants to come to the CFTC and, and provide a proposal. We will apply the law to the facts, we will be agnostic to the applicant, and we will be diligent and responsible in the way we scrutinize any application. That said, this certainly is a structural change, a desire to change out of whether or not with merit, efficiency, trade processing, lower cost, and that's fine. This is, as I said, a sort of hallmark of this industry over many decades. Uh, but as I said before, whatever we do, we will do in an open way, transparent way, making sure we get feedback from all of you. Because as you point out, well, when you start to compress multiple activities within the value chain of a trade or the timeline of a trade, you're naturally creating conflicts or issues around what our regulatory requirements are. And before we continue to pursue this road, and as we make decisions around it and not prejudging a decision yes or no, we need to be best informed about what this means for markets, market structure, uh, and customer protections ultimately, among many other things. So uh, I don't see a shortage of these applications happening anytime soon. Maybe it'll ebb and flow with time, but ultimately this is where markets are going. And as I think about how we approach market regulation in conjunction with stakeholders and new participants, I just think it's very incumbent on all of us, and I pointed this out in my remarks, you know, the theme of my remarks maybe today are, you know, collective action. Whether it's on cybersecurity or market structure, we have to think about this together because we all have different responsibilities to each other and individually, and it's important that we not point fingers at one of each other, you know, as these things play out because we will collectively steer the ship about how the markets evolve and what direction we go into in the future. Um, and I think we have to be responsible about that, cautious about that, deliberate about that, but also always seeing an eye to the future. Um, because, you know, from a U.S. perspective, and I know we have a global audience here, but I have to think about U.S. markets, U.S. customers, and the development and innovation of, US, um, uh, of the U.S. economy. Well, Mr. Chairman, I so appreciate you sitting down with us. Yeah, and uh, I know our audience loves to hear uh, what the forward thoughts are of the CFTC. I also want to thank you personally for um, all the international regulators uh, that were yeah. here. And you hosted, um, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, over 65 international regulator, regulators in attendance this year, which just adds to the tapestry of our conference, and we really appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Please give a round of applause to the chairman of the CFTC.
This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal, or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual, or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties, or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast content. Reliance on the podcast contents is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale, or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2022 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.